Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omahi? <laughs> you, did, you did pretty good hitting that high note, man. Yeah, I did pretty good for somebody who's on quarantine. <laughs> yeah, you on you on that super strength quarantine. I'm on that light. I'm on quarantine light. You on super strength quarantine out there in California, man. Yeah, California, man. I think I think California might have been the first state to drop those regulations on us, man. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, they, they call it safer at home. So we've been under yeah. safer at home restrictions for a couple of weeks, man. Yeah. Yeah, so wow. we're feeling it. Wow. Yeah, and it looks it looks like as of this recording, it looks like it's going to be quite a bit longer. You and I were kind of bantering back and forth about the president in this in this previous uh, uh, um, oh the the uh, what what he did on, on television, he just had, yeah, yeah, that he just had. It was pretty entertaining from my point of view, but uh, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't be. Nothing should be funny, but some of the things that happen with regard to reporters, it, it's funny to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're not making fun of the reality of the situation at all. No, you know, not that at all. No, no, no. But there are moments in those press conferences that are absolutely hilarious. You yeah. know, so yeah, yeah, but we won't we won't go into that right now because we <laughs> we try to we try to stay out of that. But I stay did ask you off the bit. air. Yeah, I did ask you off the air. Are you excited about getting your stimulus check in the mail? Have you calculated right. how much you Bro, get? I'm not even I'm not even thinking about a stimulus <laughs> check, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Well, I tell man. you. You know, before before I went online, man, to to meet up with you to record this episode of the Just Thinking mm-hmm. podcast, I was chilling out watching uh, ESPN's uh, Thirty for Thirty. Are you familiar with that series? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that documentary yeah. series, man. Yes, I'm yes. feeling pretty amped right now, man, because I was watching the episode, the Thirty for Thirty episode on Ric Flair. Oh, so so, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty amped right. Nature, nature boy, nature boy, Ric Flair. Woo! I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty amped right now, man. They'll tell them what I might say on this look, episode. Look, those, those were the days that I used to watch. That that's that's from my that's when I watched wrestling. This this WWE WWF stuff. Nah, that that yeah. was mine. Was old school Rick Rick the Nature yeah. Boy Flair. You know Nature what I mean? Boy man with the capes and the the, yep. the feathers and everything, the glitter, yeah, everything. But uh, yep. now that was a very eye opening uh, episode of Thirty for Thirty because uh, the honesty that Rick Flair. I wasn't a wrestling fan, but man, this man was brutally honest about how he's lived his life. Wow, and uh, the mistakes and that he made, the sins that he's committed, and uh, wow. you know, he said in his own words, he he sacrificed everything for wrestling. That's a direct yeah. quote from the episode, and it's really sad wow. to uh, see him now, uh, you know, older, uh, obviously not having the physical capabilities that he once has. Looking back on his life with so much regret, wow. Uh, so it's really sad, but I, I did appreciate his honesty, but it's really in a sad kind of way. So. Mm. Wow. Anyway, Ro, so, uh, you know, as we record this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, life has become very different from countless numbers of people since we released our last episode 10, 10 days, it was 11 days ago now. Today's March 29th. We released our last episode on March 18th. Right. 
And as you and I record this episode today, Sunday, March 29th, many people around the world are finding themselves living under some form of shelter-in-place restriction mm. in an effort to limit the spread of the coronavirus, or what is officially known as COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Now, for example, here in L.A. County, where I live in Southern California, a I kind of alluded to this earlier, but a safer at home order was issued a couple of weeks ago. Uh, first of all, by the uh, mayor of L.A., uh, and that order mandates that all individuals stay home. All right. With the exception of those who have been identified as, quote, essential critical infrastructure workers, unquote. OK, now. You and I spoke a few days ago, Omaha, about how things are for me here in California. Mm-hmm. And at that time, no such order had been issued where you are there in Omaha, Nebraska. Right. But has anything changed there for you since then? Yeah. Since, I mean, since, since that happened, we went from, I mean, and it was a matter of days. We went from, you know, no more than 25 people able to meet at a specific location at a specific time to less than 10. And so the way that impacted me in this space was we had, I had a, uh, a wedding. Uh, scheduled that I was supposed to do. And, uh, they went from being able to have 10 people at the wedding to not being able to invite hardly anyone at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was literally a wedding that it was the bride, the groom. They decided to continue the wedding anyway. They, they just desired to get married. So it was a bride, the groom, myself, uh, two witnesses, uh, and a cameraman. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, it, what's, what was interesting about that was the, the absolute joy that they experienced. Uh, as a result of their of, of their union uh, as a as a married couple, that that was exciting to see in the midst of all of the crazy that we all have experienced uh, over the course of the last two weeks or so. It's been absolutely a whirlwind, and again, unprecedented. What we're experiencing right now is unprecedented in in our lifetimes, in any of our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, and and so to to see it all happen, to see it unfold, and to still see folks experiencing the joy of of, of, of you know God ordained marriage mm-hmm. uh, was was a really really nice break from all of the chaos and the the news reports and all of the different things like that. But that's kind of where we are. No churches are meeting. Same essential personnel type deal. Most of the restaurants are are closed uh, except for drive throughs. Uh, essential personnel for the most part, but groups no more than no more than ten are still able to get out and about and do whatever they're going to do. Yeah, you know, I know I speak for you, Omaha, and everyone on the Just Think It podcast team when I say that we are remembering all of our listeners and their families in our daily prayers. And by saying that, not only are we praying that God will keep and comfort them during this time, but also for when this time or trial has passed, mm. okay, we're praying that all of God's people, yours truly included, will not so quickly quickly forget the purposes for which God has allowed this time of testing to come upon not only the world, okay, but also his church, all right? Mm. And speaking of God's purposes for his people during these times of trouble and trial, I'm reminded of uh, a sermon that John MacArthur preached on Sunday, March 22nd, so just a week ago uh, today, entitled Finding Security in a Troubled World. And by the time this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast airs, that sermon will be available at the Grace to You website. So if you want to go to gty.org, gty.org, and listen to John MacArthur's sermon for March 22nd, Finding Security in a Troubled World. In that sermon, uh, John outlines six purposes for which God uses trouble in the lives of his people. And I'd like to take a couple moments to review those quickly, as I think there will be an encouragement to our listeners. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, these six points are from John MacArthur's sermon, Finding Security in a Troubled World from March 22nd, 2020. Number one, John MacArthur said that God uses trouble to test the strength of our faith. His text on that point were Exodus 16, 4, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31, and then 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. So that's point one. God uses trouble to test the strength of our faith. Point number two, God uses trouble to humble us. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. God uses trouble to humble us. Point three, God uses trouble to wean us, wean us from earthly things. That's Colossians mm-hmm. chapter three, verses one through 17. God mm-hmm. uses trouble to wean us from earthly things. Point number four, God uses trouble to call us to heavenly hope. Mm-hmm. God uses trouble to call us to hope. That was second Corinthians four, verses 16 through 17. Point number five of six, God uses trouble to reveal what and who we really love. Yeah. God uses trouble to reveal what and who we really love. That's Genesis chapter 22 and then Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse three. And then lastly, point number six, God uses trouble to help us strengthen others in their trials. Mm-hmm. That's Luke chapter 22. So let me go through all six of those points. Once again, God uses trouble to test the strength of our faith. God uses trouble to humble us. God uses trouble to wean us from earthly things. God uses trouble to call us to heavenly hope. God uses trouble to reveal what and who we really love. And then lastly, God uses trouble to help us strengthen others in their trials. Any thoughts, Omaha, on those six points from John MacArthur? Well, first of all, I was really glad about the fact that uh, we could we could watch that uh, particular sermon online live that it was being being live streamed. And so I, I remember uh, watching that sermon live, listening to that, listening to the points. And as he as he walked through every single point, I found myself excited and completely convicted at the same time. And so I I just want to, like you did, just encourage folks if they haven't had a chance to listen to that. So in fact, in, in, the, in my notes, I, met, I, I even put a, 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 a point of, uh, of just clarification from you. I was going to ask you, I knew that, that, that the, that the, uh, that, that that sermon had been live streamed on Facebook, but I also wondered when it would be accessible because it, it was, it was well worth going through more than a, 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 more than a dozen times. I mean, it was that, that really, I mean, it was, it was that good. It really was and incredibly helpful and something that, that I think the believer should resource over and over and over again, not just for this, but it's something we should revisit uh, over and over again. <clears throat> I, I thought it was so counterculture as well than what I was hearing from other pastors around the country. Most pastors were telling their congregations to you know, hold on to the promises of God for the purpose of, of really what they were, what they were pointing to were temporal blessings that we right. can experience in this life. And I found it incredibly refreshing to hear that, that God might, might provide temporal blessing. And at the same time, he might not. Uh, however, we can know this great truth, which is God is in complete control and that he uses good and bad to, to conform the believer into the image of his son. Uh, that, the, the help that this message provide had, had, uh, provided rather had no regard to our feelings or temporal blessings, but to establishing the importance of God's glory. And it was so, so 
good. So I, I just want to encourage anybody who hadn't had a chance to hear that particular sermon. You mentioned that it would be out what, in, in, a, in a week or so from, yeah, from our by, recording. By the time, yeah, by the time this episode of our podcast airs, as a matter of fact, Grace to You will be preempting their regularly scheduled program for March 30th and 31st, and then we'll be airing this uh, sermon by John uh, from March 22nd. So if you'll go out to Grace to You, uh, the sermon will be available, Finding Security in a Troubled World. Uh, so by the time this episode of the podcast comes out, John's sermon will already be available on gty.org. Oh, good. Good deal. So uh, so thanks for sharing that, first of all, Omaha. Yeah, and, you absolutely. know, like you, <clears throat> like you, I found each of these six points by John MacArthur to be both penetrating and convicting. But it was also interesting that one of those six points in particular, that would be point number five that God uses trouble to reveal what and who we really love. That point, point number five, mm. just happened to coincide with the theme of the podcast episode that we're recording today, which we've titled, Do Not Love the World. Mm-hmm. Okay? Do Not Love the World. In fact, it was several days ago, as signs that the coronavirus was beginning to demonstrably impact the daily lives of individuals and families, as evidenced, for example, by the panicked reaction of many people who rush to physical grocery stores, membership clubs, and online retailers like Amazon to hoard such items as toilet paper, paper towels, bread, and bottled water. It was then that you and I actually landed on that topic for this episode, Do Not Love the right. World. Right. Now, right. There, there, there also <clears throat> were the initial announcements by various federal, we kind of talked about this. Mm-hmm. But initial announcement by various federal, state and local authorities and municipalities that public gatherings would be limited to a certain number of people so as to inhibit furthering the spread of COVID-19. Now, this resulted in churches that had the technical technical capability to do so. This resulted in those churches having to resort to live streaming their worship services online. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is, in fact, is what my local church at Grace Community Church has been doing for the past few weeks. And we'll continue to do for the foreseeable future. Now that we know that that uh, the uh, stay at home uh, re- uh, uh, re- regulations directives. requirements yeah. directives yeah. has been extended through the end of April. OK, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so live streaming will go on for a few more weeks for us. But perhaps the most tangible. OK, the most tangible and far reaching evidence of the impact of the coronavirus, but perhaps the most tangible and far reaching evidence of the impact the coronavirus is having from a worldly perspective anyway, is the precipitous decline in the global financial markets. Mm -hmm. Publicly traded companies, publicly traded companies are collectively losing billions, if not trillions of dollars in value every day, of which an unfortunate downstream impact is that many people who are employed by those companies will ultimately lose their jobs, and many people already have lost their job. Right, right. And prior to the news of the coronavirus, Americans were doing just fine especially economically. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was trading above 28,000 and was probably headed even higher. The unemployment rate was at such an historic low that there were more job vacancies than job applicants. So as recently as one month ago, at least from the economic standpoint, Americans were acting as if we didn't have a care in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, for some context here, The reason I emphasize where America as a nation was economically prior to the coronavirus outbreak is that it is material possessions and material comforts that to a great extent matter to most people in this nation and to an equally great extent to us in the church. 
Wow. Now, and when I say material possessions and material comforts, I'm speaking not only in terms of our desire to have financial stability, but also our desire to be physically and mentally healthy, to have job security, to have problem-free marriages, to have children who are healthy, obedient, and well-educated, and who don't struggle with their grades in school, or who don't rebel against their parents at home, children who are believers like we are, if in fact we are believers. Right. So the list goes on. Right. Now, having said that, I want to be clear and say that none of those desires are sinful in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. None of the aforementioned things that I just mentioned are sinful in and of themselves. After all, who among us doesn't want to be financially stable or physically and mentally healthy or have a marriage in which our spouse is a believer in Christ? who selfless, selflessly exhibits the love of Jesus towards him or her and whose children are believers as well and who consistently applies their gifts and talents in ways that honor and glorify God. Of course, we all want that. Okay? So, again, none of those desires are sinful in and of themselves. Right. The issue for us, however, is how you and I as Christians behave when those desires are not realities in our life. Mm. That's good. That's good. Okay. As our response oftentimes proves something about ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge or admit. Namely, that in reality, when all is said and done, we're merely idol worshipers. Okay. And what I'm saying here is that today, what God has providentially allowed to occur with the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating that what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 8 That if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Mm -hmm. And likewise, what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 11, that God would give us this day, our Mm -hmm. daily bread, that those things simply don't suffice. Those Mm -hmm. precepts simply don't suffice for many of us who profess to believe in Jesus Christ. The one who three times in Matthew chapter six commanded his people do not worry. Yeah, that's good. Thoughts you have, Omaha? Yeah, no, I th- I th- man, I th- think you're teeing this up incredibly well, especially when we when when we think about it in light of all that we have a tendency to take for granted. And as you as you walk through all of those statistics regarding the global financial markets, particularly when you reference like the Dow Jones and the economy in the United States, now I, I can't help but to think about something that we're going over in, in some of our life group and, and Bible study classes. We actually walked through this this morning. We've we've been walking through Romans chapter three where Paul is responding to his his Jewish listeners who might raise the objection as to the benefits of being a Jew. Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 1, he says, then, then what advantage has there to being a Jew? Paul would then go on to argue that there's much benefit in being a Jew and that they have the benefits of, of the oracles of God, the word of God. In a similar way, we here in America have had the same benefit of the Jews and that our country was founded upon the desire to experience freedom of Christian religious practice. And as a result, we've seen tremendous benefit from that ideological position, right? Some of those external benefits are those that you mentioned earlier, material prosperity, relative peace, and the comforts of life that no other generation in the historic past could actually imagine. 
the reality is that far too many of us have taken those blessings for granted apart from acknowledging God. And, uh, and we, we may give a hat tip to the Lord. What, you know, thank you, mm-hmm. Jesus, for this. or Thank mm-hmm. you, Jesus, for that. But in reality, you made the point earlier. We begin to worship these things as idols. We don't see it that way. It's incredibly mm-hmm. insidious. It's very small. But you, you recognize it at the point at which those things are taken away from you. And, mm-hmm. and then you're then you're panic stricken about them. The run on toilet paper, bro. Yeah. Like, man. really? I mean, yeah. are we being like I, I never was worried about that. But mm-hmm. as I watch people respond to what they were saying, I'm going, where, where is this coming from? What in yeah. the world is going on? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited that we're that we're going to do this episode as I believe the current environment allows us to to rightly repent of anything that we've allowed to be an idol in our lives apart from giving God the glory due His name. That's my those Amen, my brother. Appreciate you sharing that, Omaha. You know, as I observed the manner in which many professing Christians have responded and are responding to this new reality that God has providentially brought about in the world. I'm reminded that even as believers in the eternal promises of God, that none of us is immune to being attracted to or Mm -hmm. enamored by a world that we know is passing away. Mm -hmm. Now, it's actually quite ironic when you think about it. As Christians, we know that everything about this present world will one day be no more. Okay, the Apostle John writes in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and Mm -hmm. a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, conversely, the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And yet knowing that, even though we know all that, we constantly find ourselves being seduced and enticed by the temporal attractions and satisfactions that this passing world has to offer. Mm. Now, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, The Apostle John writes these words. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. That was 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So as Christians, we know, that is, we understand that this world and all that encompasses it is passing away. In fact, it's been passing away since even Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. And yet there are still things about this present world that if we were honest, we would have to admit that we want to continue to hold on to and not let go of. And it's with that reality in mind that I would like our listeners to consider these sobering words from Charles Spurgeon, who in a sermon he preached on October 11th, 1891, titled A Clarion Call to Saints and Sinners, said this. Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, ah, dear friends, God has only to give you what you want to make you feel the emptiness of it. (laughs) If you are his child, if you are his child, the more you have the less you will see in it, unquote. Mm. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon back on October 11th, 1891, a clarion call to saints and sinners. Ah, dear friends, God has only to give you what you want to make you feel the emptiness of it. If you are his child, the more you have, the less you will see in it. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on my heart. 
No, I, I, I think that's, that's really good. I love that quote from Spurgeon. It's a, it, I, I just think this whole time, this season, this space that we're in is just a good time of, of reflection. And, and I, I don't, I don't know about you, but this time for me has been that. I mean, as, as I've had to stay home and kind of think through what's important, what's of value, it's allowed me to really think through what I indeed value most. It, it was John Calvin that said that, that man's heart is a perpetual factory of idols, right? And, and, and I, I found this quote interesting and it comes from Rosaria Butterfield in her book, Openness Unhindered, uh, Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She says this quote, one very difficult aspect about sin is that my sin never feels like sin to me. My sin feels like life, plain and simple. My heart is an idol factory and my mind is an excuse making factory, especially when it comes to dealing with the kind of sin that clobbers me most indwelling sin, the unrelenting, ever present kind that never takes a Sabbath End quote. Wow. I think I think that is so true about yes. all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. This, this time serves as a special time, especially for believers, to examine our hearts and to see what sin may be residing there that 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 may be creating an idol uh, or where or we may be creating an idol for the things that that we maybe not intended uh, to, to be an idol. In fact, the things you mentioned it earlier, the things in and of themselves that we're talking about aren't mm-hmm. aren't aren't sinful things. Those mm-hmm. are those mm-hmm. are those are good things. But, mm-hmm. but when we, but when we hold on to them and where, when worship lands on them and by worship, I mean, we know we have to have those things even more than we desire God. They've become an idol. Those are the things that could well be holding us captive. And we have a responsibility to examine those things. Amen, brother. And that's exactly what this episode is all about. You're talking about responsibility that we have. That's mm-hmm. why we're doing this episode. You know, so we're talking about in this episode, the Justin podcast about followers of Christ, not loving the world. And as we endeavor to deal biblically with that topic, Omaha, I think it's vitally important that we understand precisely what we mean when we use the phrase, quote, the world, unquote. And to that end, I want to quote from the book Practical Religion by the 19th century Anglican theologian J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, in his book Practical Religion, describes the world as follows, quote, by the world, be it remembered, I do not mean the material world on the face of which we are living and moving. Mm. He that pretends to say that anything which God has created in the heavens above or the earth beneath is in itself harmful to man's soul says that which is unreasonable and absurd. On the contrary, the sun, moon and stars, the mountains, the valleys and the plains, the seas, lakes and rivers, The animal and vegetable creation, all are in themselves very good. That's Genesis 1, verse 31. Mm -hmm. All are full lessons of God's wisdom and power, and all proclaim daily the hand that made us is divine. The idea that matter is in itself sinful and corrupt is foolish heresy. When I speak of the world, I mean those people, and listen closely, uh, folks who are listening to us, listen closely to what Raul is saying here. When I speak of the world, I mean those people who think only or chiefly of this world's things and neglect the world to come. The people who are always thinking more of earth than of heaven, more of time than of eternity, more of the body than of the soul, more of pleasing man than pleasing God. 
It is of them and their ways, habits, customs, opinions, practices, tastes, aims, spirit, and tone that mm. I am speaking of when I speak of the world. Wow. This is the world from which the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.17 to come out and be separate. Wow. Unquote. Wow. That was J.C. Ryle from his book, Practical Religion. So I pray that that distinction from Ryle helps to put into more specific context what you and I are talking about in this episode, mm-hmm. Omaha, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we say do not love the world. Any thoughts, man? Yeah, man. Ralph's thoughts remind me of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one, verse 22, where Paul is writing to the church at Philippi from prison. I know you remember this as Paul considers his own life, whether whether it's more important for him to live or die. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which I choose. Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Verse 23 says this, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That's the end of Philippians chapter one, verses 22 through 24. Most of us, I have to admit, myself included, don't often think of our worldly existence in this manner. Uh, Of course, I I believe if we did, we'd be much more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness that that permeates the world in which we live. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Far far too often Christians suffer from a lack of power as a direct result of our love of the world. We, Mm. We are far we are far too concerned with being accepted, liked and even loved by the culture. And therefore, we we demonstrate an impotent Faith. Scripture says this in Second Timothy three five. We have a form of godliness, but it is denying mm-hmm. its mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. We, we wow. read that we, when when we when we turn to Second Timothy two, Second Timothy three rather. We we the list that precedes verse five. We often think of that verse as only aimed at false teachers. Mm-hmm. Sadly, we rarely examine our own lives to see if we are slipping into the, some of the same categories mentioned in verse four. For example, it says that, that those who are, who are false teachers will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, without self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, etc. Right. We, 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 we ourselves don't think we don't think of ourselves in these kinds of contexts we think of others in those contexts but it's mm-hmm. only in times like this when 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 the worldliness is extracted from us when the the things that we love the most and hold so dear are taken away from us that we truly have time to examine our own lives in the same way man those are some excellent thoughts omaha you know and i think there's also just to add to what you were just saying i think there's an eschatological aspect of how we as christians are to think through Mm-hmm. what God is sovereignly doing in the world through the COVID-19 situation. Now, when I say eschatological, I don't mean in a prophetic sense of the word. Okay. So when I say, <laughs> you got to clear, clear that, that clear. you got to clear that up. This is one of end time plagues in revelation. You know, this is an end time plague or something. <laughs> Man, have I seen, have I seen that being spread across social uh-huh, media? Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. So when I say that there's an eschatological con uh, or aspect to this, What I mean, I mean that in the sense that God is using this situation to remind his people that this world is not our home. Okay, so when I say that there's an eschatological dimension to this COVID-19 situation, that's what I mean. That's that God is using it, among other things, to remind his people that this world is not our home. You know, in John chapter 14, verse two, 
Jesus tells his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. So it stands to reason that in telling his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, Jesus is being clear that that place is not here. Mm. That place is not here in this present world. So for the church, for those who are the elect in Jesus Christ, the eschatological aspect of this COVID-19 situation is that God is using it, among other purposes, no doubt, to reorient the affections of our hearts away from this world Mm. with its viruses, diseases, and death, and onto the next world, where according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. So again, I'm convinced that that is one of the purposes God has in mind for his church during this time of trial and trouble, Mm. to reorient our affections from this world and onto the next. Matter of fact, that perspective is beautifully expressed in a prayer titled Earth and Heaven from the book Valley of Vision. That prayer, earth and heaven from value of vision, I want to read the entire thing because it really captures, I think, the type of mindset and attitude that professing believers ought to have during this Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Again, this prayer is titled Earth and Heaven from the Valley of Vision. It reads this. O Lord, I live here as a fish in a vessel of water, only enough to keep me alive. But in heaven, I shall swim in the ocean here. I have a little air in me to keep me breathing, but there I shall have sweet and fresh gales. Here I have a beam of sun to lighten my darkness, a warm ray to keep me from freezing. Yonder I shall live in light and warmth forever. My natural desires are corrupt and misguided, and it is thy mercy to destroy them. Now let me pause right there. How many of us praise like that? Right. That you, you confess to God two things. My natural desires are corrupt and misguided and that it is thy mercy, that it is God's mercy to destroy those corrupt and misguided desires. How many of us pray like that? I know I don't. Right, right. So I'm continuing to read. My natural desires are corrupt and misguided and it is thy mercy to destroy them. Quicken my hunger and thirst after the realm above. Here I can have the world. There I shall have thee in Christ. Here is a life of longing and prayer. There is assurance without suspicion. There is assurance without suspicion. Asking without refusal. Here are gross comforts. More burden than benefit. Wow. It says here are gross comforts that are more burdensome than beneficial. There is joy without sorrow, comfort without suffering, love without inconstancy, rest without weariness. Give me to know that heaven is all love, where the eye affects the heart, and the continual viewing of thy beauty keeps the soul in continual transports of delight. Give me to know that heaven is all peace, where error, pride, rebellion, Passion raise no head. Give me to know that heaven is all joy. The end of believing, fasting, praying, mourning, humbling, watching, fearing, repining, and lead me to it soon. Mm. That was earth and heaven from the Valley of Vision. You see, only Omaha, only a Christian 
Okay, only a Christian whose heart is focused on the things above and not on the things of this world can pray a prayer like that and mean it. What I just read from Valley of Vision is merely one expression of what the Apostle Paul is exhorting believers to do in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Mm. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So it shouldn't take something like the coronavirus to get God's people to orient our affections on the things above. But as Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Wow. Thoughts, Omaha. Powerful, powerful section, especially with, with the Puritan prayers. And, uh, man, I, I just encourage everybody to, to go out and grab. If you haven't had a, gotten a copy of Valley of Vision, you need to. Uh, it is a, it is a, a, a rich treasure that will be a benefit, uh, and a blessing to your life. I, I'll just add these thoughts, man. I know it's crazy to think of things in this way. But scripture tells, tells us that we need to be, we need to rejoice always, be thankful for all things. And mm-hmm. this, this could be a situation where, or, or I believe for the believer, we should be looking for how do we give God thanks and praise even in the midst of a coronavirus? Mm-hmm. Exactly. What, what does, what does it look like for the believer to say, you know what? I, I'm going to give God thanks, even though I'm watching this, this pandemic that's happening across the world. Uh, I've, I've got to look for ways to give thanks. And, and if indeed our affections are oriented toward him as a result, that is absolutely a good thing. I, I think we should, I think we should think of it in the same way that Joseph viewed his life at the end of Genesis chapter 50, right? After, mm-hmm. after his brother sold him into slavery, he finds himself in horrible situation after horrible situation. Potiphar's wife lies on him. He's imprisoned only to be forgotten by the man that he helped. Uh, and thereafter, he, he interprets a dream that allows him to go free. But later, he sees his brothers who betrayed him. And, and as they're fearing for their lives that Joseph will once again revisit their sins after their father died, Joseph says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So even with all that Joseph walked through, he sees the tremendous benefit and blessing in the hand of God in it all, rather than that which is horrifying or, or sorrowful or something that he should he should inflict revenge. I've even heard of people, and maybe you've heard this too, where people are blaming God. Where's God in all of this? Why isn't yeah, he yeah. why isn't he fixing this situation? Why yeah. doesn't he turn things around and, and, and make things work the way that they should? You know, we, we don't know the plan of God as we witness this this viral pandemic. But those who suffered in the bubonic plague in the mid 1300s, they didn't know what what God's plan was at that time. Mm -hmm. Those who suffered from the Spanish flu in the 1900s, they didn't know what God's plan was at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we we do know is that God is in control. And worse than what we believe to be our untimely death, right? Worse than what we believe to be our untimely death is a life lived apart from the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to cue the mascot right there, bro. I'm sorry, bro. I got to interrupt you and cue the mascot right there. I need you to, because that was so nice. I'm going to ask you to say it twice and say it a little slower, man, so the folks sitting in the overflow can hear what you just said. (laughs) Yeah, what, what, what we need to know 
is that God is in control. And, and worse than what we believe to be our quote unquote untimely death, you hear, you hear people say, man, that, that, that person's death was untimely. Well, there's no yeah. untimely, there's, there's no, no untimely such thing as an death. untimely death. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. There's, there's no such thing as an untimely death. Worse than what some would consider an untimely death would be a life lived apart from the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The uh, problem is, the problem is we don't really believe that. And I know you're going to touch right. on that here in, in, in a bit with regard to that. But scripture says it this way in John 17, three. Now this is eternal life that they may know you and the only, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We should desire to know Christ in this way today. Man. Birds, that was beautiful, man. You know, as you're referring back to uh, Joseph, I'm going to go off script here for a second. I couldn't help but think about what uh, what Job says in Job chapter two, mm. verse nine and ten, uh, mm. in response to uh, a very critical word from his wife. In Job chapter two, verse nine, it says, "Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Mm-hmm. Curse God and die.' And let me just pause right there for a second. <laughs> now." I don't even know if she, if Job's wife realized what she was saying to Job. Right, right. Curse God. And, okay, so I'm going to curse God and die. So, so, okay, I, I said, okay, wife. I, can, I said, okay, Mrs. Job. <laughs> let me take, let me take your advice and curse God and die. Now, what do you think is going to happen the moment I die? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be face to face with the God that I just cursed. Right. I mean, how, man, let me stop. Let me just say this. <laughs> let me just read the text. Right. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But here's the kicker in verse 10. This is so beautiful, man. This is exactly what you're saying, uh, Omaha, and the point you just made. Job said this, but he said to her, that is, Job said to Mrs. Job, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? That's good. That's good. See, that's a text that you'll never hear Joel Osteen preach on. Right. <laughs> you'll, you'll never hear prosperity gospel preacher. Preach no, on that, on that absolutely text. not. Nope. So, so thanks for saying what you just said. Omaha. That, that was, that was excellent, brother. You know, in his book, the mystery of Providence, the mystery of Providence, the Puritan theologian, John Flavel said this quote, the written word tells us that the best way to gain inward peace and tranquility of mind under puzzling and disturbing troubles is to commit ourselves and our case to the Lord. As you have read in the word, so you have found it to be in your own experience. Oh, what a burden is off your shoulders when you have resigned the case to God. Then providence concludes your affairs comfortably for you. The difficulty is soon over when the heart is brought to this. In all your reviews and observations of providence, be sure that you I, God, as the author and the orderer of them all, unquote. That was John Flavel from his book, The Mystery of Providence. You know, Omaha Flavel's words from The Mystery of Providence are in keeping with what, what is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Right, right. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. And this is a verse that has helped me fast for many years in my own personal life. Yep. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Okay, I want to repeat that in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider the Lord has made the one as well as the other. See, that verse right there, Omaha, is the answer 
to the question that someone asked, where was God? Right. And that verse answers that question. Right. Scripture is clear that in this world, there will be days of prosperity as well as days of adversity. But as Christians, we must stand firm in the immutable reality that in either case, okay, prosperity or adversity, we must stand firm that God is the one who providentially brings about those circumstances in our lives. Mm -hmm. For example, on one hand, you have Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. It says, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? On the other hand, however, you look at a text like Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, where the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Philippi, for to you it has been granted. That word granted in the Greek literally means gifted. Okay, so as if you're giving a gift to someone. For to you, so it could actually be read, for to you it has been gifted. For Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for right. his sake. Right. Okay, right. so on the one hand, you have an Ecclesiastes saying, who can have enjoyment without God? So God wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But then you offset that with Philippians, where Paul says, no, it's not just a gift that you believe in Christ, but also mm -hmm. that you're going to suffer for him. Yeah. yeah. Now, Paul's words in Philippians 129 raise an important question. And it's one that I believe every, every uh, professing Christian should be asking themselves every day as this COVID-19 pandemic continues. And that question is this. Are you responding to this current trial for your sake and for your own interest or for Christ's sake and for his glory? Mm. Are you wanting God to bring an end to this coronavirus shutdown so that your life can get back to normal? Or are you content to joyfully endure it as long as God sees fit to prolong it? So long as he is glorified through whatever degree of suffering he would have you and your family endure. Wow. Now, I ask those questions against the backdrop of something I heard Dr. R.C. Sproul say back on March 31st of 2014. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember the exact date. Because I was in a situation at that time when I was trusting God for a new job. And when I heard what Dr. Sproul said, I wrote down every word on an index card and wow. taped that index card to, to my desk in my home office. Wow. Dr. Sproul said this, and I want our listeners to listen very closely. Hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm quoting Dr. R.C. Sproul from when I heard him say these words back in 2014. Dr. Sproul said this, quote, faith is not believing in God. It is believing God. It is about living by every word that proceeds from his mouth. It is about following God into places that we've never been, into situations that we've never tasted, seeking countries that we've never seen because we know who God is. Unquote. I'm going to repeat that. Faith is not believing in God. It is believing God, Dr. Sproul said. Now, I don't doubt for one second that the majority of people listening to us right now, Omaha, would say that they believe in God. Right, right. But I'll see Sproul's point is that ultimately that's not the issue for the Christian. The issue for the Christian is not whether you believe in God, but whether you believe God. And that's a question that many professing believers are being confronted with today as this coronavirus pandemic continues to run its providential course. Mm. And only God knows how much longer that will be. But the question of duration of COVID-19 is not to be our primary concern. Right. 
as members of the body of Christ, the question we should be asking is not so much what is God up to in allowing this pandemic to occur in the first place, but what is God up to in me by allowing me to live in the midst of what he has sovereignly allowed to occur in the world during this time? Wow, that's That's great. the larger that's question. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the really larger good. question that believers should be considering. What you got, Omar? Man, a number of things. One, I'm, I'm going to go back to your favorite verse, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider the Lord has made the one as well as the other. First of all, you touched on it, that, that the idea that no prosperity preacher is going to touch that, that the back half of mm-hmm. that section, mm-hmm. right? No. And, and that, that's not the case. And, and the second thing is we, we should – it's sad that the prosperity gospel or any gospel that, that, that has God being God in prosperity and not the God over adversity, mm-hmm. that they're, they're worshiping a very impotent God, right? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Cue the mascot right here. Cue the mascot. Verge, I need you to rewind though. Back it up and rewind, bro. Repeat that, please. They're, 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 if someone is if someone is not worshiping a god who is the god in prosperity as well as adversity, they are worshiping worshiping an impotent god. Uh, they're, they're worshiping a god who who won't be able to help them. Who'll be caught off guard. Who'll be caught by surprise. Who have to look oh, around and try to figure out what what to do next because here's a bad situation that 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 god had never provided oversight for. Didn't know was coming. And so they're going to have to figure things out. That that is not the God of the Bible. Wow. And and that is not the God that we worship. We have to know that this that the same God who is the God over the prosperous situation is the same God who is there in adversity. And that's the God. That's the sovereign God that we worship. There, Man. There, there was a second thing that you raised. The second point that you raised when you talked about believing in God, and then you talked about believing. God and 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 what you set up, I think, is so true. But it, it's the equivalent of the issue surrounding sufficiency of Scripture, right? Amen. It's, it's it's the point where we would be we'd be the person nowadays knows most most everybody knows they'd be foolish. Most people don't even argue biblical inerrancy anymore. They they believe, hey, the Bible is what the Bible is. They they pretty much for the most part don't, they don't attack Scripture in that way. Most believe Jesus said what he said. Uh, and that's what's written, what we have in the scripture. Most believe that mm-hmm. Paul said what he said, and that's what we have in the scripture. What we find ourselves challenging is not whether or not Jesus said what he said or whether or not Paul said what he said. But the question we have is really whether what they said truly applies personally to our own lives. Amen. Amen. Right. And, and, and that's that's the same thing with belief. We, we believe that God is God. We believe that we, we say that we believe that we, we even say things like this. We believe God is sovereign. We believe God mm-hmm. to be sovereign. And what we mean to say is that we believe that God is sovereign until the point at which God does something for which we really don't agree. Right. That, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's really what we Yeah. Mean that's like, that's like sovereignty with an asterisk. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, when you, when you, when you're reading a document, right, Omaha, you see an asterisk right. somewhere. Right. There's usually a footnote of some fine print you need to go to. Right, right, find right. That asterisk is to see what that, what that actually, what the context of that is. Right. So that's what people really believe. You're exactly right, bro. That's I, right. I hate to interrupt that, you. No, but no, you no, nailed no. it, man. It's, it's, it's sovereignty it. with an asterisk. Absolutely. Sovereignty with an asterisk is the same, is the same, is the same sovereignty of God that the prosperity preacher believes in, right? Exactly. He, he doesn't, he doesn't believe that, the, that, that, that God's sovereignty reigns over the, over the, the good and the bad. He believes it only reigns in, in a specific way. So I, again, I, I think you said it perfectly. The question is not, do we believe in God? 
The question is, do we believe God? Period. Amen. End of statement. Yeah. Amen, bro. Thank you for that, man. You know, in a sermon titled Making Sense Out of Suffering, Making Sense Out of Suffering, John MacArthur said this. He said, quote, the truest crucible for testing one's genuine spiritual character is to undergo the severest trouble, unquote. That was John MacArthur from his sermon, Making Sense Out of Suffering. The truest crucible for testing one's genuine spiritual character is to undergo the severest trouble. Now, wow. Pastor MacArthur's words remind me of how God dealt with the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 from that chapter because there's a lesson here that we all need to learn and take to heart. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Mm -hmm. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you. And let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That was Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses one through three. God let his people go hungry in the wilderness. And in the Hebrew, those words in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that God let his people go hungry, I let you be hungry, those words literally translate to mean that God allowed their stomachs to be empty, okay? God deliberately, intentionally, and purposefully let the Israelites go hungry in order to humble them, to test them, so that they would know the condition of their hearts. God already knew the condition of their hearts. The testing was for his people. So that they would know, not God. So the truth is, the adversity that many Christians are facing today as a result of the coronavirus pandemic is revealing the true nature of our hearts. Mm -hmm. It is revealing to us that we love the world more than we love God. Yeah. And God in his mercy, though it may not feel very merciful at the moment, God is allowing many of his people to go hungry, perhaps literally as well as figuratively in order to reorient the affections of our hearts towards him and away from our idols. Now, though we don't always think of trials in this way, they often are evidence of God's love for us. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 7 and 14, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Mm. That was Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 14. Now, conversely, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12 says this, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So, as we, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, respond in obedience in the midst of the trials and troubles that God sovereignly allows into our lives, he uses our obedience to bring un unbelievers to faith in him. In turn, 
which in turn brings glory to him. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that in light of the following two verses in the New Testament. OK, first Peter, chapter two, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or unbelievers so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers or disobedient, they may, because of your good deeds or obedience, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. Mm -hmm. Likewise, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the glory of God is the focus here. So when we understand that through the, the, the purview of God's bigger picture, so to speak, trials and adversity can be opportunities for us to joyfully witness, not only to an unbelieving world, but to the church as well, about the depths of God's love, mercy, and grace towards those who belong to him. Wow. Now, I say that against the backdrop of these words from Article 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith, which speaks on the providence of God and his government. Of all things, this is from the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 13, quote, we believe that the same good God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. Mm. Nevertheless, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed for his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner. Even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly and as to what he does surpassing human understanding we will not curiously inquire into into farther than our capacity will admit of. Wow. But with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God. This is actually what you were talking about earlier, Virg, about giving thanks. Mm-hmm. But with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God, which are hid from us contenting ourselves that we are pupils of Christ to learn. I know, right? Contenting ourselves that we are pupils of Christ to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his word without transgressing these limits. I'm continuing to quote from the Belgian confession here. This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation. Since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but mm-hmm. by the but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with a paternal care, keeping all creatures so under His power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission, they cannot hurt us. Wow. Unquote. That was from the Belgian confession of faith, article 13, the providence of God and his government of all things. Now, mm-hmm. before I turn it back over to you, Omaha for some thoughts, I want to layer those thought, those words there from the Belgian confession. Another quote, 
from J.C. Ryle's book, Practical Religion. I, I quoted this earlier, but I think what I'm about to, to quote now is a, it's an excellent sort of augment. Mm-hmm. So I just read from the Belgic Confession. Mm-hmm. J.C. Ryle says this, this in Practical Religion, quote, the true Christian is the only happy man because he has sources of happiness entirely independent of this world. He has something which cannot be affected by sickness and by deaths, by private losses and by public calamities. He has the peace of God, which passes all understanding. <coughs> Excuse me. He has a hope laid up for him in heaven. He has a treasure which moth and rust cannot corrupt. Mm. He has a house which can never be taken down. His loving wife may die and his heart feel rent in twain. His darling children may be taken from him and he may be left alone in this cold world. His earthly plans may be crossed. His health may fail. But all this time, he has a portion which nothing can hurt. He has one friend who never dies. He has possessions beyond the grave of which nothing can deprive him. His nether springs may fail, but his upper springs are never dry. This, Ryle says, is real happiness. Wow. Wow, bro. I, so many. I mean, going back to the, the Belgic Confession and how powerful uh, the words were from that. I just, my thought is just initially, man, preaching like that is rare. I mean, not that that was a sermon. That's a, that's a confession of faith, but just the, the thoughtfulness of the theology is just, it's jaw dropping. I mean, it, you, you could read that and confess that in church and begin worship, right? I mean, yep, exactly. I mean, that's how, that's how powerful those thoughts were. Uh, when, when, when you talk about life being extracted and, and given based upon the hand of God with, with regard to family members and the like, it, it reminds me of the quote by George Whitfield who said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. Amen. Right. Amen. That's, that, that really again speaks to God's sovereignty. Psalm 31 15, uh, A says, my times are in your hands, right? My, my, hands. Mm-hmm. My, my, yeah, my, my times are in your hands. It's not, it's not a, it's not my decision. It's not based upon what virus hits. It's based upon the, the the fact that God is in complete and sovereign control, right? Daniel chapter two, verse 21 says, he, God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning, right? That, that's, that's Daniel mm-hmm. chapter verse 21. At, at the end of the day, we should find our rest. And, and, and the Belgian confession really spoke to this. We should find our rest in the safety of God's sovereignty rather than trying to be our, uh, be, be our, uh, at our best in control of things for which we obviously have no control. Mm-hmm. Psalm 91 verses one and two says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is where we need to place our trust. Amen, brother. Amen. You know, so as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, I have a final question uh, for our listeners. All right. That question is this. Have you been crucified to the world? Wow. Have you died to the seductions, the attractions, and the temptations that this passing world is offering you every moment of every day. 
Or are you still enamored with it? You're still drawn to it. You're still infatuated with it. You see, the only way a professing believer in Jesus Christ can serve him fully is to die to the world and to everything that it offers. Now, that mindset is expressed rather explicitly by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says this in Galatians 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's Galatians 6.14. Now, Paul's words of being crucified to the world beg the question, beg this question. What does being crucified to the world look like for the Christian? Okay, What does that look like? You see, contrary to what the so-called prosperity gospel proffers, God's ultimate goal for his elect is not to shower us with health, wealth, and prosperity, but to conform us into the image of his son. That's Romans 8, 29. So the question again is, how does God accomplish that? Well, he accomplishes that in us in the same way that he accomplished it in his son, Jesus Christ. And how was that exactly? Well, the answer to that question is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. It says, although he, that is Jesus, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Mm. That was Hebrews 5, 8. Christ, quote unquote, learned obedience, says the writer of Hebrews. Now, that verb learned in the Greek literally translates to mean that Christ learned obedience by use and practice. He learned by use and practice. That's why it says in James chapter 1, verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude delude themselves. Mm -hmm. So you see, Omaha, it's one thing. It's one thing for you and me to be taught something. But it's another thing altogether for us to have actually learned what we've been taught. For example, I can teach a child that two plus two is four. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that child has learned. That two plus two is four. The proof that a child has actually learned what they've been taught is in demonstrating that he or she can correctly sum up two and two for themselves so that they equal four. So the question for us in these days of COVID-19 is, are we truly learning what God is endeavoring to teach us? Wow. Wow. Thoughts on all. Now, I, man, I, I, again, I just, I think that's, that really at the end of the day, uh, we've got to sit down and this is a great opportunity to do it. I mean, the president has already said there's another 30 days, right? That we have an opportunity to kind of sit and be still and, 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 and reflect on what God is actually trying to teach us with all the situations, all the circumstances that we're encountering. Uh, and, and again, this is, this is light affliction. I mean, this, this isn't even, I mean, no, no, nobody's, nobody's terrorizing us in any way, shape or form. This is just right. stop, pause and reflect. And I think it, I think it is incumbent upon the believer in Christ to really examine themselves to see if they are indeed of the faith to the degree that we've made other things, I, I, I idols that we've mm-hmm. looked at other things and, and have, had turned our affections in those directions way more so than we should have otherwise. That's kind of my, that's kind of my thought as I, as I kind of wind this whole package of what we've kind of put together into, we really, really need to examine ourselves. And I think, to, I think to the point that you made in this section that we, we've got to ask ourselves, have we, have we truly, have we truly learned what we've been taught? Right. Exactly. But I agree wholeheartedly, you know, in his book, Christ's call to reform the church, John MacArthur says this quote, 
He says the glory of God is the overarching purpose behind everything he does, unquote. The glory of God is the overarching purpose behind everything he does. That's John MacArthur from his book, Christ's Call to Reform the Church. You know, and as I consider those words, Omaha, from John MacArthur, there are two passages of scripture in the New Testament that come to mind to which I want our listeners to pay very close attention. Okay, the first text is in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, talking about the glory of God here. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, as he passed by, This is Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That was John chapter nine, verses one through three. The second text I want to point to is in John chapter 11, verses one through six. Again, Sort of uh, expanding on John MacArthur's point that the glory of God is the overarching purpose behind everything he does. In John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That was John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, my rationale for citing those two passages is this. What if I told you that ultimately this coronavirus pandemic isn't about you? What if I told you that being laid off from your job wasn't about you? What if I told you that having your home foreclosed on isn't about you? What if I told you that the death of your loved one, your coworker, or your best friend from this virus wasn't about you? What if I told you that the worst case scenario you could possibly imagine could come to fruition from this COVID-19 pandemic has nothing to do with you, but instead has everything to do with how God desires to glorify himself through you? Now, think back to the passage I just read in John chapter 11, where Jesus deliberately delayed in coming to see about Lazarus until until after Lazarus was dead. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were alive back then, would you rather have witnessed Jesus healing Lazarus while he was still sick? Or witness him raising him from the dead? Now, my point is this. God's greater purpose was that Lazarus die. Not that he be healed from his sickness, as his sisters Mary and Martha had asked Jesus to do. Now, that same principle applies to you and me. Now, what I mean by that is this, is that for the sake of his own glory, though we may wish otherwise, oftentimes God will allow the worst of circumstances and situations to occur in our lives to show us his glory and to deepen our faith and trust in him. Mm -hmm. 
Now, can you imagine the testimony that Mary, Martha, and yes, even Lazarus had about Jesus subsequent to what they each had just witnessed and experienced in Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead as opposed to healing him when he was sick? Mm-hmm. I mean, consider that. I want folks to sit, consider that, to seriously consider what I just said mm-hmm. in light of these words from Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to wrap up with this. Consider what I just said in light of these words from Charles Spurgeon, which I trust will be an encouragement to our listeners as we patiently wait for our merciful and gracious God to bring this pandemic to an end. And I think I'm confident that he will. This is from Spurgeon's sermon titled Direction in Dilemma. What an awesome title. Direction in Dilemma. Dilemma. Spurgeon preached this sermon on November 22nd, 1863. And in that sermon, he said this, quote, God's great design in all his works is the manifestation of his own glory. This is exactly what John MacArthur was saying in the Mm -hmm. quote that I cited earlier. Mm -hmm. God's great design in all his works is the manifestation of his own glory. Any aim less than this is unworthy of himself. He cannot act. That is, God cannot act for the good of his creatures as an ultimate aim, for that is for God to be impelled by a motive less great than his own nature. Mm -hmm. Since there can be nothing greater than the infinite, and there can be but one infinite, if the infinite God be moved by an infinite motive, which is the only one worthy of him, that motive must be found in his own glory. Wow. Unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon from Direction and Dilemma from November 22nd, 1863. Mm. God does everything ultimately for his own glory. John MacArthur was absolutely correct in saying that. Omaha, final thoughts, bro. Now, I, I think, I mean, you can sum this all back up by pointing right back to the very beginning of what you kind of began this with, which was you, you and I talked about this at the point at which the, the, the COVID thing had just started. I had just come back from, uh, fr- from, uh, Shepcon and we were kind of kicking this around about two and a half, three weeks ago by the time this airs. Mm-hmm. And, and you began talking about MacArthur's sermon just a, you know, just a couple weeks ago now at, at the point that this airs, about a week ago after this airs. You said there were five things, six things that he talked about, how God uses trouble to test the strength of our faith, how God uses trouble to humble us, how God uses trouble to wean us from earthly things, how God uses trouble to call us to heavenly hope, how God uses trouble to reveal what we really love. And the sixth was how God uses trouble to help us strengthen others in their trials. All of these things are for the purpose of God receiving the glory due his name. Amen. Amen. All Amen. of those things are for the purpose of, of us recognizing who God is and for him to receive the glory out of our lives and to conform us into the image of his son. And so what, what, how you landed, where you, where you landed, put a great bow on everything that we stated early. And so I'm hopeful that, that those who are listening will find what we did in this treatment incredibly helpful and beneficial. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask that you share this with others. I, I think in, in, in the same way that, that the, that the MacArthur, uh, uh sermon is going to be incredibly helpful. I'm hopeful that God would use what we've put together in our time together to, to, to be a benefit, to be a comfort, uh, to those who might hear it as we, as we navigate the, 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 the crazy waters that we're encountering uh, with regard to this COVID epidemic. It's with that man that I'll close by encouraging our listeners to check back in with us next time for another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. 
The Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia, the Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting His church and His people. Subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.